Hey besties, welcome back. My name is Tanisha. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Wellness Through Reading. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I say welcome. Wellness Through Reading is a podcast dedicated to keeping reading a daily habit as a form of self-care. For those of you who are touring, welcome back, welcome back. Before we begin, hit that subscribe button so that way you know when new episodes are uploaded. I am so thankful that you guys are here today for this episode. We are finishing off book review of a fourth wing oh i'm tripping over my words because i'm so excited so this has been a three-part series last week we did part two now we're doing part three we're doing chapter 17 to 39 it's a good one it's gonna be another long one but it's gonna be good we're gonna go chapter to chapter to chapter breaking down everything that happened all the hidden clues also discussing some fan theories that i've been reading about online which i kind of agree or disagree with also coming up with my own theories about what's going to happen next as well because so let's dive right in we're just going to dive right back into where we stopped which was chapter 17. so now let's recap from part two so violet has made it across the parapet she's made it across the gauntlet she's made the threshing and now she's not bonded at one but two yes two extremely badass dragons one named Tarnok, who we go by Taryn, and the second Endarna, the little golden one. So she wakes up next morning after threshing. And um, so basically now she is officially a rider. She is a dragon rider. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, just, oh, I'm just so happy. Of all the characters in the book, I was just the happiest that Violet got a ride, got a dragon. But it's also interesting, though, that she gets two dragons this is the first time that this has ever happened so i'm starting to go back to my original theory that a little bit soaring gale knows something's off with the government and why that ties into violet getting two dragons i mean i think some this is just my personal fan theory i think that little bit soaring gale knew violet was gonna bond those two dragons I'll explain more in detail as we go along, but that's just my fancy. I think that she knew Violet was going to be key in this whole kind of underlying war that's going on in the government. So stay tuned for more because I got my theories on that too. But you are diving back into the story. So she wakes up and as a writer, you know, she goes from sleeping in these barracks to now sleeping in her own room, which is kind of nice. It's a small room, but hey, it's a room, so she's changing it. So she goes and has breakfast with her friends, Riddick and Rhiannon, and something's off. You know, the whole culture, the whole the cliques, the um, social groups, if you will, they've all changed the day after threshing. And one of the other girls from her squad explains to them, like, after threshing, you know, uh, the whole power dynamic that changes. People who have dragons, it's like the haves and have-nots, if you will. The ones who have dragons, the ones who have not. And if you have a dragon, then there's social groups of how big is your dragon? How strong is your dragon? And then you get divided among that. And Violet, having bonded two dragons, is now going to be considered one of the strongest riders in the quadrant. So a lot of people are kind of scared of her now. People who used to bully her, they're scared of her now. The person who says this is Imogen. Now, mind you, going back to part two for a quick second, Imogen was the girl who, with the pink hair, who was like, hates Violet because Violet's mother murdered her mother and sister. So they don't really get along. But out of nowhere, Imogen goes, you know, hey, after flight lessons today, meet me in the sparring gym. And she's like, why? Because I'm going to train you on your weights. And so Violet goes, wait, this is not about squad loyalty. You've hated me since day one. What's this all about? Look, it's my mission now to make sure you're doing your weights. 
And so she looks over to where like the leaders group is, and that's where Zayden Ryerson, who is the wing leader for her wing that she's in, and it kind of gives her a second look. And um, she then realizes that Imogen's been ordered by Zayden to train her. Because as you remember, Zayden and Violet's dragons, Taren and Tegeo, are bonded mates. And bonded mates cannot be separated for very long, otherwise both their powers diminishes. And so basically they're all interlinked. So if Violet were to die, it's kind of a thing, well at least it's a theory, that if Violet were to die, then that means Taryn would die because they are bonded. And that means Segea would die because Taryn's gone because they're so bonded. And then in turn, Ryerson would die. So keeping Violet alive keeps Aiden alive. At least that's the theory that we think. Has this ever been tested? We don't know. But because Taryn's bonds are always stronger, it's a possibility. And it's a possible, and honestly, it's a theory that nobody really wants to test. So that's why he's having these people look after her now. And again, from this part two of you, yeah, for those of you who are new to the podcast, if you haven't listened to part one and two, pause this right quick, go listen to those and come back because this will make more sense. Now, it's interesting because these two are not supposed to get along. They're not supposed to like each other because again, Little Bit's mother ordered the execution of Zayden's father. So they got that enemies thing. But honestly, there's been a smoldering heat that's been kind of going on between those two. Which is weird because they're not supposed to like each other. But hey, it's taboo, I guess. It's human nature. You always want what you can't have. So anyway, diving back into the story. So now they have their very first fight lesson. And one thing that we learned is that there were, while there were over 100 dragons willing to bond, there were only 91 dragon and riders that bonded. And so Violet was like, wait, hold up. The math ain't mapping on that. If there was 100 dragons who wanted to bond, but only 91 people who actually bonded, why the gap? And just until... And the Taryn explains her, like, look, just because they wanted to bond doesn't mean they found worthy riders to bond. And so she's like, wait, so two of you chose me? That's kind of insulting. It's like, well, we considered you worthy. And so, again, it's interesting because we got to go back to the idea that this series, because what I read online is that this is going to be a five book series called the Imperium series. And the Imperium is basically the realm of the dragon mob books, how the dragons act and interact with each other. So it's interesting how the dragons are all, they all talk to each other and whatnot. And honestly, I'm starting to really think and consider like, why all of a sudden change their mind to say, okay, actually, correction. So it was actually 101 dragons that wanted to bond, but only 92 pairs that actually bonded. And actually with that 92, they are the smallest class ever to bond. So that's kind of alarming because they need those bonds. The bond between dragon and rider helps to power the wards, which makes them stronger. So fewer bonded pair dragon and riders means fewer people that channel the wards. So I'm starting to think like, this is my personal fan theory that I just like, are the dragons telling? Because oh, I mean, dragons are aware of the world rules and laws and the politics that go down in the human world. And I'm starting to think that maybe they were insulted. Not just insulted, but they were disgusted by what the government, the king, and everyone in general did to the children of the parents who rebelled. Because remember, the Tyrandorn Rebellion basically was brought about a civil war in Navarre that divided the country and basically were trying uh to just mark out on the road they wanted to secede from the union if you will 
And so all the leaders were all executed and the children were made to watch. And not only were the children made to watch, but one of their dragons um, marked all of the children with this rebellion mark. Some have them on their arms, some have them on their necks, some are born with it. And it's just, it's really sad that they have this, but it's like, I mean, basically to the other people, people of Navarre, this is like a curse for them. They're marked ones. They're evil. They're the thing. They're the it. They're that enemy within our country that we are not supposed to trust. At least that's how the people see it. But honestly, I think for dragons, it's a little different. Because if you think about it, though, dragons only mark their writers when they kind of put their magic on them, when they're trying to channel through them because going back to when um the the day of threshing they actually blow fire on them and that marks them with their magic so that they know that that's their writer and you mine and all that so i started to think what if for dragons those rebellion relics aren't actually a curse but a blessing what if the dragons are secretly kind of conspiring with each other to try and overthrow the government? Because they see how wicked it is. And so those rebellion relics are kind of like a secret power. Here's the thing. What we learn about with the rebellion relics. Another key, before I go into that, another key figure that kind of comes up is General Margin. Mar Margrin, hope he's that right. And his dragon coda. Now, interesting of his signet is that he can see the result of a battle before it even ends. But the thing is, if three or more um, marked ones or people with the rebellion relics are gathered, he can't see through and see the end result of a battle. Which goes back to that original thought, because we're going back to part two, if you will. There was a addendum that no more than three marked ones can congregate together. Interesting. So honestly, I'm starting to think that like maybe the dragons are, like I said, they're conspiring to overthrow the government because they see how evil, how wicked, how corrupt they are. But why is it corrupt? What's the corruption? Because we're starting to see that there's something there. Like they, these people in charge, they're pretty evil. But what are they hiding? Why are they hiding it? And why are they so damn mean? Especially to the children of the rebellion. And what more can these rebellion relics do? Those are the questions I had going into the second half of this book. And that's why it took me so long to read this. Because I'm like this thing about all these weird conspiracy theories and whatnot. But that's just one of mine. So diving back into the story. So we're going on a first flight. First flight. So it's with Taryn and Violet. And of course Violet cannot stay on her dragon. She's not strong enough. She's just trying to get stronger but... I mean, she basically falls off Taryn like 44 times throughout their first fight. So it doesn't go very well. After her first fight, she goes to the weight room with Imogen to get straight training. And she runs into Dane. You know, Debbie Dowder Dane, as I like to call him. And basically, you know, he's talking to her about the kiss that they had shared at Thrashing. And so she was like, yeah, you know, that was a little awkward, uncomfortable. But Dane was like, look... I have feelings for you and honestly I've been working super hard to be this leader and honestly I just think that maybe we should hold off on maybe getting into a relationship until after I become a wing leader and she's just giving her all he's basically telling her her life story with him without informing her 
that's not good. It's not okay. And honestly, Violet's looking at him in a whole different light today. Because after what happened at, during Threshing, he basically just said, yeah, if the rules would not allow me to, I would not bend them to save you. And while, I mean, people have a right to believe and feel how they feel, but it does make Violet look at him differently. Like, if I'm in danger, you're not going to bend your beloved rules to save me? It, it, you lose a little respect for somebody like that. And so you see a big fracture in their relationship from that point onward. So she leaves Debbie down her day and goes into the weight room and starts working out with Imogen. So now onward to chapter 18. And I want to read the quote at the beginning of this chapter. And it basically states, There is nothing more sacred than the archives. Even temples can be rebuilt, but books cannot be rewritten. Colonel Daxon's Guide to Excelling in the Squire Quadrant. Now, as part of her duty, she can't do breakfast duty anymore because that's been given to the unbonded to do. They get some of the more unsavory tasks, but she's been given the task to basically go to the scribe quadrant and pick up the battle briefings, you know, written scrolls to be read during battle brief. Which, I mean, she loves the archive. She's been there her whole life, so she gets to go there every day. And while, I mean, she is sad to go there, but she does run into an old friend of hers, Justinia. Who basically they were studying together and to go into the scribe quadrant, which you know didn't work out, <laughs> as we all have told. And so basically, she goes to Jacinia saying, Hey, I need these scrolls, and they're talking, and she's going on, like, How are things? You look great. I mean, you have changed. Like, she said, and Violet says, You know, I feel changed, I feel better, actually, which I mean, makes my heart melt. I mean, yeah, the archives was her first home, but just because something is your first home, your first love, your first choice, doesn't mean that it's your forever home. You know what I mean? Sometimes you got to step out of your comfort zone in order to grow. And that's what Violet's discovering. She's growing here. She feels strong and empowered, and I'm all the way here for it. But another key factor in this book, novel, really, novel, it's a novel, is that she asked her, you know, hey, can you check the archives to find this one book called The Fables of the Baron? She's like, oh, you know, just for fun reading. It's basically a book of fables. You know, old stories and used to scare it. Like, fairy, basically the fairy tales for this world, really. And so, Jacinia comes back and she gives her all the scribes that she needs to give to the professors. But she tells her, like, we don't have that book on file, which is very odd because archives either have a copy or the original on every book in Navarre. Only ultra-rare or forbidden tomes are excluded. Which is weird. So when do folklore become forbidden to read? Hold that thought because it becomes very important later on in the story. This is kind of like the first sign that we started to realize that things are being censored in this world. Again, politics here are politicking. So she goes and puts the cards back, goes to lunch, and we get back to the t lunch room or dining hall, whatever you call it. And they're having lunch and they're discussing about um, channeling. So before they get their signet powers, their signet power is that identifying power that's significant to them as a writer. Some people have the power to wield fire. Some people have the power to wield ice. Some people have the power to move wind. Some people have the power to, or is even more powerful, signet by Zayden. Zayden is a shadow wielder. That's a very powerful and very rare one. Like, Ice and fire, those are kind of common ones, but a shadow reader, that's rare. But before they can get a signet panel power, their dragons have to channel through the relic that they've been given. 
And now they're kind of all like one by one. And it, it kind of goes sparingly like one by one. Once a dragon feels like they can fully trust you with all the power that they're going to have, they'll start channeling. So one of the people, his name is Sawyer. He's kind of like one of the first people to start channeling. And his and his power is that he can bend metal. And that, that's a very, very powerful and very, very rare one to have as well, too. And so Imogen tells them, like, you'll manifest your dragon when your dragon is ready to trust you with all that power. Just hope your dragons trust you before the six-month mark. Otherwise, you'll explode. So, yeah, it's kind of like a ticking time bomb. So you got to kind of hurry up there and show your dragons that you're worthy enough of all that power. So after lunch, they go off to the flight field and they have another flight training session. So she's not falling over 45 times she did the first time. She's only falling a dozen times. Half a dozen. Well, no, it's a dozen. Yep, it's a dozen times. She's getting better. She's getting stronger. But she's still kind of the weakest link in the group. I mean, hey, everyone's got to start somewhere. And our girl's starting at zero. But hey, she's getting better. And Terrence, like, hey, you only fell half a dozen times that time. He's trying to keep her hopes up. And as you know, fight lessons have ended, all the riders and all the dragons are in the field and the dragons are going off, Dane enters onto the field. And so Taryn kind of swivels his head and says, mm, I don't like how he's approaching you. And Dane does look a little angry. So then, and this, and here comes another characteristic of Dane, Taryn. He's a very like overprotective dad dragon. Like when Dane kind of approaches Violet in this, con in this part of the story, he's very angry at her for some reason. We find out in a minute. But he basically is like, look, if he hurts you, I will scorch the earth where he stands. And I'm going to take it up with his dragon as well, too. Please tell him that. Yeah, overprotective dad dragon. So then he, she tells him that, and then he goes off. And so she's left on the field with Dane. And Dane is angry. Basically, Dane's like, why haven't you told me that you can't keep your seat? He, heard, he found out from someone else that she's having difficulty staying on her dragon. And so Violet's like, look, everyone's having difficulty staying on the dragon. It's hard enough. He's like, but you didn't come and tell me yourself. And so she's like, look, am I supposed to run to you every time I have a problem? Basically, once again, he goes off about how she just doesn't think he's, she can cut it. He's terrified that she's not going to make it to graduation. And so then again, he's letting his fears being projected onto Violet. And Violet looks at him like, look, this place, you once told me that this place cuts away to the bullshit and all the niceties, revealing who you are at your core. Isn't that what you said to me? Is this who you really are at your core? Someone so enamored with the rules that he doesn't know when to bend or break them for someone he cares about. Someone so focused on the least of what I'm capable of doing, he can't see I can do so much more. She goes on to say, Let's get one thing straight, Dane. The reason we'll never be anything more than friends isn't because of your rules. It's because you have no faith in me. Even now, when I've survived against all odds, bonded not just one, but two, Dragons, you still think I won't make it, so forgive me, but you're about to be some of the BS this place cuts away from me. And this is where we all stand up and give our girl Violet a round of applause. Yes, Violet! Finally, she said it! I have been waiting for a few chapters now for her to finally say this. Because even though they've been friends for a very long time, at some point you can't allow for someone's pessimism to completely overshadow your future this is ridiculous she survived the parapet she survived the gauntlet she survived threshing and came out of that with not one but two dragons and you still are looking at her as the little girl who's both friends easily 
give the girl some credit. Understand this is not luck. This is skill. She is a talent. And if you see that she's struggling, then stop screaming at her and help the girl out. Stop telling her to quit. Again, Debbie Dardane. There we go. That's just, <laughs> that's my Debbie Dardane rant for now. It will get worse later on. And you'll understand why. So we go into the hallway. So she meets up with some of her friends in the hall because they're getting ready to go into battle brief. And all of a sudden, someone, one of the cadets named Jeremiah starts screaming. And he's going around and he's saying, can't you understand the voices in my head? I'm hearing voices, voices in my head. And then we realize that he's an intensic. An intensic is someone who can read. His powers have manifested. And he can read minds. And in Navarre, anyone who is an intensic has to be killed because those powers can't be controlled. Let me see that again. Intensics is a, basically a death sentence. You cannot have this power and live because they tell you this power is too much for one person to control and they can't have people going around reading other people's minds knowing their secrets. Okay, here's the thing. No one can control how you, what type of signet you can manifest. That's not fair. Like, his, that's his signet. That's what he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be able to read minds. Okay, so when he first challenged, maybe it was a bit too much. But if with practice and with time, he could have learned how to, how to control it and whatnot. And at the end of, you know, uh, this particular chapter, what the one of the professors, Professor Carr, who is the uh, wielding professor, who teaches the cadets how to wield their magic, Snaps the neck because intensic is a death sentence. But again, that's interesting. Of all the powers, intensic is the one that's a death sentence. Not something deadly like being able to yield fire, being able to read other people's minds. Because if you think about it, Dane's power, going back to part one, Dane's power is the ability to read someone's previous mind memories, but he gets to live. Not only does he get to live, but he gets to have special privileges because of his abilities to be able to read people's minds. But he has to touch them, though. That's the thing. He can't just stand there and just be able to read people's minds out of nowhere. He has to be able to touch someone in order to read their previous memories. But isn't that also reading someone's mind? So, because he can control, hmm, or someone else can control. Maybe I'm reading this too much. Maybe another fan theory is, but it's like they just don't want other people being able to read the thoughts of what's really going on. And you know what? I think there are some intrinsics actually running around the writer's quadrant. More on that later. But diving back into the story. So after this has happened, and Jeremiah gets his neck snapped by Paris Akara, whew. We are now kind of thrust into this dreamlike world where Violet is kind of in a dream mode. She's having a dream with her dad about the archives. And she's, her dad's basically telling her that you always have to check your sources. Remember that first-hand accounts are always more accurate, but you have to look deeper, Violet. You have to see who is telling the story. And what, another thing that's really interesting in this dream is not really a dream. She's just recollecting an old memory that she had with her dad. And her dad's basically telling you that, like, no, you're not going to be a writer. You're going to be a scribe, <laughs> if only you knew. 
Eversley says, your mother has never understood that while writers may be the weapons of our kingdom, it's the scribes who have all the real power. And while she's having this dream, Taryn's in her head and he's yelling at her, wake up, get up before you die. And all of a sudden she snaps her eyes open and there are five unbonded cadets in her room. Now pause. A part of the codex, which is the rules of conduct for the writers, each ward has their own, but the writer's one is very short because, you know, dragon writers tend not to follow the rules. But there are certain rules that are just absolute. Like, you do this, you die. And one of the rules is you do not attack a writer in their sleep. So what these bonded cadets, unbonded cadets, are doing right now, they are completely breaking the rule. You are not supposed to be able to kill a writer in their sleep. So she wakes up and she grabs as many daggers as she can and starts defending herself. But one of them she recognizes and it's Ornk. And he basically has, and after this short struggle, he has his hand on her neck and is squeezing. And it's basically saying, you know, your dragon is going to be mine. And tears in her head saying, hold on, hold on, we're going to save you. Don't worry, hold on. And then Darn is there too. No problem, we're going to help, we're going to help. Help is on the way, just stay calm. And just as Violet's getting ready to lose air, all of a sudden, everything stops. Everyone in the room stops. It's like they're all frozen in time. And so that leads us into chapter 19. Violet's looking around this room like, what's going on here? Why has everyone stopped? And then she realizes that like it's Andarna. Andarna has stopped time, essentially. And so she's like, quickly, I can't hold it for much longer. So she slipped out of Orin's grip and then slowly walks her way to the door. Because she's still disoriented as well. And she gets to the door, but the door isn't clear because all of a sudden, Satan arrives. And honestly, I'm not going to lie, I don't care why he's there, I don't care how he knew, I don't care how he got there, I'm just happy that somebody's there to save my girl Violet. Because all this is going on, why nobody wake up, why nobody come in, but we're just happy he's there. All of a sudden, then Adarna collapses with what we, in her mind, she kind of collapsed, and all of a sudden, the chaos resumes. And so Terrence, like, growling in his head, like, it's about damn time you showed up. And Zayden looks around at all the people. He looks at Violet, he looks around at all the people in the room, and basically says, you all guys are all dead. And so Orm looks around and sees Zayden. He's like, oh crap, moment. And Zayden looks like, it is against our code to attack another writer in their sleep. And so they're all saying, look, we, look, please don't hurt us. We're just trying to correct a mistake. You know, he should, never should have bonded her. Then Zayden says, Shadow Zaddy, is that ethical? Dragons don't make mistakes. And then he, they try to explain again. And then he's like, look, I've heard everything I need to hear. She should have killed you in the field, but she's merciful. That's not a flaw I possess. So he uses his shadow and basically grabs all the other assailants in the room and strangles them. But he saves Orm for later. He grabs up a discarded dagger on the floor, one of his blades, and basically slits his throat. And he dies instantly. I mean, just quick bam, bam, boom. This man is deadly, I tell you. And then just as he's finished killing off all the assailants in the room, you know, his cousin Bodie and his friend, and also as a lieutenant, really, in command, Garrick show up. And all this, like, wow. Like, uh, okay, I guess we're on cleanup duty. So they start pulling the bodies out. And so Zayden, you know, he goes actually into Violet's little like armoire that she has. And so he's pulling out some things, looking at her like, are you okay? Are you hurt? Are you injured? What's going on? And she's like, I think my rib is broken. He looks at it. I don't see it's broken. So he basically puts her cloak on. He's like, look, we're going to see our dragons. Let's go. 
So we make their way outside and they see Segeo, Taryn, and Andarna. And so they're all basically having a conversation about what the heck just happened in that room. And what we find out in this exchange is not only can Zayden hear Taryn, because that's how we found out. Because originally we thought, okay, in my mind as a reader reading it, okay, maybe uh, Taryn saw what was happening, told Segeo who told, who then told Ryzen. But as it turns out, Zayden can communicate with Taryn. Now, in, now, mind you, what we our knowledge of dragons is, is that only the writer of that dragon can communicate to their dragon. But because they're all interconnected because of the bond of Taryn and Segeo, Ryzen can hear Taryn, and not only that, but Violet can hear Segeo. And we're all just like, huh? Segeo, yeah, so yeah. And what's interesting for me, it's fascinating, really, for me, is that Ryerson doesn't seem a lot shocked that Violet can talk to Segeo. So I'm like, how long has he known about this link? And he hasn't told her about it. Because he's all calm and cool and collected about it. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know I heard. And he's like, wait, you know? Hmm. That's more of... Satan has so many secrets. That's the thing. He's so freaking secretive. And it's like, what you know? How you know it? What has Segale told you? Because mind you, he's been at the Quadrant for three years now. So he knows a lot more than what he's willing to give up. Which really irritates me because he commands Violet to tell him all her stuff. But he's allowed to keep secrets. I don't like that. And then out of nowhere, a little Andarna goes, you know, nature like all things in balance. And so she turns to Zayden and tells him what Andarna said. And he's like, what does that mean? So we realize that while Zayden can communicate with Taryn, he can't communicate with Andarna. Interesting. So we find out in this exchange that Andarna actually isn't a full-grown dragon yet. She's still what they call a feather tail. At first, she was a little insulted because Violet called her a hatchling, and hatchling is just like a little baby dragon. She's like, no, 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 I'm two, okay, I'm a feather tail, I can bond if I really want to. So Gail goes on, like, look, look, I did not think she was actually going to bond. We were all just as shocked as you are that she bonded, but here we go. So what we found out that all dragons are born with a significant power. And so the reason why hatchlings and feather tails really shouldn't bond is because their powers are still growing and developing so they should be full grown and be able to control what they channel because she's a feather tail she can't really control it and so because she can't really control it violet can just go over and just take whatever she wants but like i was like no i wouldn't have because but in doing so will really drain her because it's just as you can see wait see but obviously read in the text is that you know her stopping time for that little amount of time that they did it, it really drained her power. She's in like sleepy mode right now. And so Violet's like, no, I would never drain you like that. Because if she drained too, took too much, she would ultimately end up killing Endarna. And that's why Endarna's like, that's why I chose you. Because I knew you wouldn't drain me. <sighs> Love me some Endarna, I really do. So after that actually scene, Zayden's like, they said, look, you, at some point, you and I are going to have to learn how to trust each other because we're stuck together forever. And so we basically trying to figure out like, well, how did those unbonded cadets get into your room? That was the second question of the night. And so she basically she's like, look, there was another person in that room that ran off. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I should tell you this. Cause honestly, I don't know if I should be myself. And he just looks at me like, I'll believe it. Just tell me who it was. And on that, we are into chapter 20. Oof. Now, 
Accusing a wing leader of wrongdoing is the most dangerous of all accusations. If you're right, then we have failed as a quadrant to select the best wing leader. If you're wrong, you're dead. My Time as a Cadet, a memoir by General Augustine Melgren. And so we are now in morning formation. It's after breakfast. And basically this is where they read off the death list. They basically go over the morning announcements before you go off and on your morning anointments. So while they're all standing in line, chit-chatting and whatnot, uh, Zayden goes up to the front and basically just explains that, like, one of my cadets was attacked during her sleep and calls out Amber Mavis. Remember that name? Amber Mavis was the woman that basically was angry with Violet for using her daggers to get up the gauntlet. So she was the one who gathered all those cadets to go into, because mind you, the cadets' doors are locked. So how did they get in? She, as a wing leader, has access to the keys of all the cadets' rooms. So she used that key to unlock it and let those cadets in and kill her. And so that's a wild accusation to make against another wing leader. Even though he is a wing leader, if he's proven wrong, he's going to die. And so, like, Violet's like, yep, that actually happened. Dane turns around and he doesn't believe her. And so he reaches for her head as a way of time, like, grabbing a hold of her memory. And immediately she jerks back, like, no. Like, you're my best friend. You just believe me. This woman did this to me. And so no one really is believing them because they don't have a lot of evidence at this point. So she looks up at Taryn because Taryn's basically, uh, all of her dragons and whatnot are up on what they call, like, the perch, if you will. And as the trial is going on, so she looks up at him and goes, look, can you show all the other dragons my memory? And they're like, just show them the parts that they need. So he does. And now all the writers in the quadrant have seen what she saw. And they know that it was her. And so as per justice, they, Taryn uh, basically incinerates Amber for breaking the codex. Because they've proven it. And Amber said, look, the reason why I did it because she's the weakest link and I just wanted to get rid of her. Which, hmm. Here's the thing. That is a very, very, very hard rule in the Codex. You do not attack another writer in their sleep. So here's my fan theory about this. I might be wrong, but it's a theory. I think someone of higher command told Amber to do it. Let me say that again. I think like one of the generals, General Markin perhaps, because in the beginning, General Melgren, forgive me, General Melgren is the general that was the one who, whose dragon Koda marked all of the children of the rebellious leaders with the rebellion marks. So I think that General Mark, General, not General Markin, forgive me, General Melgrim was the one who told Amber Mavis to kill Violet in her sleep. Because, again, Violet is bonded to Zayden. So if Violet dies, Zayden dies. Kill two birds with one stone. But then again, why though? Because I think Melgrim and Littlebit Sorengale do not like each other. I think there's a few there. So anything he can do to hurt her, I mean, it's two birds with one stone. Kill the enemy of daughter and kill the enemy's son. It's okay. And the and reason why, and it's a wild accusation because why would a General Marvin do this? Because why else state, use a quote of Melgrin's at the beginning of the chapter where we're talking about the trial. That's just my fan theory about this. Tell me what y'all think in the comments below. So, 
we go onward to chapter 21. This is a chapter where now, because after she's been attacked in her room, Zayden has essentially assigned a bodyguard for Violet. He's like, look, I don't have time to sit around all day following you to class to class. So he had Liam, who was another writer in his wing. He's also uh, has a rebellion relic on his, on his arm as well, too. And basically, he is like the picture-perfect person. He's really tall, blonde, super sweet with pink, with dimples. Really nice guy. And basically, super strong, all that. And he now is her bodyguard. He follows her everywhere he goes, and even on library duty. When she goes to the archives and picks up these scrolls for the day. And honestly, though, even though it's annoying that Satan assigned him, Violet really likes him. He's a really nice guy. That's it. And honestly, just being around him, she starts to realize how other people treat the children with rebellion, rebellion relics. Give me too many R's. And she's like, don't. And so as they're talking, she realizes that there's a reason why Zayden chose him. Because basically when, after the um, leaders of the rebellion were killed, all their children were basically sent to foster parents who raised them. And so Zayden and Liam were sent to the same foster home. And so this opens up Violet's eyes because she never really thought about, okay, what actually happened to the children after their parents were killed? Where did they go? How were they raised? And basically these were children whose parents were like dukes and duchesses and whatnot. So when they rebelled, they lost all of their great houses and whatnot. So they were being sent off to people who actually stayed in the union. So basically they went from being rich to poor and this is when we realize, Violet realizes, that all children with rebellion relics are forced into conscription into the Writer's Quadrant. And basically they did this because the Writer's Quadrant has a higher chance of dying than any other quadrant. And so basically this is just an easy way to kind of execute them without actually having to do it. How sadistic is that? So again, we get another hint that there is some politicking politicking going on here there's some evilness in this government right now even more so as they're waiting for the other scrolls to come in she actually unfolds one not supposed to but she and starts to read it and realizes that one on the southern border a, a state country city was ransacked and looted the, the previous night so she's like oh this is going to be interesting to talk about during battle briefing so they put all the scrolls down the gold rent to the refractors and they head off to battle briefing which bring nope we're still in the same chapter so then we get to battle brief and as they're talking about it this is a bear because having one of their like major ports rude like that you would think that's something that they would want to talk about during class but instead the professor talks about something completely different he actually says nothing really major is going on we're actually going to just go over and reassess another battle and talk about the pros and cons of that battle liam and Violet both stop. They're like, wait, one of our outposts was ransacked and we're not gonna talk about that in battle brief. We're just gonna go over an old battle. Did I read that right? Did we read that right? And they're both kind of giving each other a side eye like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So again, we get another clue as to like, they're not being told the whole story. The government is telling these writers and everyone else in the country what they want them to know not what is actually going on. Which brings me really to a very interesting theme that I kind of keep seeing throughout is like really 
as because she's in her 20s right now that's the point in your life where you really stop allowing others taking all the information that you're getting and just absorbing it you really start to formulate your own opinions on things and oftentimes you find yourself on the opposing side or on often for the fourth side and violet's really starting to witness and understand am i on the right side of history right now is what's going on in the government something i really want to advocate for what is really going on here why are we not being told the truth why are certain books not being included in the archives there's something underhanded going on here and also that because Violet has read all the books about what happened during the Notirondo rebellion because her brother was killed during the rebellion but now she's starting to realize that there are certain things like the fact that they were the children were sent to foster homes like the fact that they're all being forced into construction to the writer's quadrant in the event that they will die and so we're just like What's really going on here? Why? Why? Just why? Just more and more questions keep coming up. She's asking herself more questions, which is a good thing. It just shows that she's a cur- not only a curious, but she shows that she has a moral compass going on here. There's something going on here that they're not telling us. And that's a question that keeps coming up. And boy, when we get the answer. Whew! But hold up. Stop right there. We're going to take a quick little commercial break, and then we'll be right back. So stay tuned. It's that time of the month. Aunt Flo is in town. Y'all know what I mean. Especially the ladies of the podcast. These are all the euphemisms that we use to state that your period is on its way. I am a woman who used to suffer from extremely painful periods that kept me up at night, kept me in bed so I couldn't go to work. That was all changed. And it's when I found some main supplements. Our bodies fluctuate from day to day, week to week, month to month. So we need natural supplements that help support these hormones. And the supplements that they offer are the Daily Hormone Balance, which provides more energy, better moods, reduce cravings. Key ingredients include grape seed extract, passion flower, B vitamin complex, magnesium, and zinc. There is also the PMS Period Support, which you use before your period to avoid bloating, have reduced cramping, and fewer mood swings. Key ingredients include green tea and vitamin D. There's also the urinary tract cleanse and protects your urinary system. Key ingredients are your cranberry juice extract. And then there's also the prebiotic for women for better gut health, soothes, soothes the intestines, and reduces bloating. And lastly, there's the menopause essentials which helps to have fewer hot flashes, better sleep, and more stable moods. Me personally, I use a daily supplement and the PMS period supplement. I must say for the first time in my life, since starting my period at the age of 15, both these supplements have helped reduce my pain ridiculously. I no longer get those stabbing pains anymore. So obviously I use the daily supplement on a daily basis and then two or three days before my period is set to start, I use the PMS support to help with those uncomfortable mood swings and cravings that we all get during that time. I owe all this wonderfulness to Samane. So for more information about it or to order your first bottle, go to SamaneHealth.com. That is S-E-M-A-I-N-E Health, H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Go ahead and log that website and use the promo code WellnessThroughBeauty to get 20% off your first bottle. Periods are normal. Tuning in and let's get back into the episode.
So onward now to chapter 22. So basically the rest of November has now passed. It is now into December and they still have not talked about what happened at uh, the Summerton raid. So basically, even though the scroll wasn't marked as classified, they could have read it. But the fact that they didn't get to know or it wasn't expressed in class has Violet wondering and concerning. And also start thinking about, you know, what else doesn't make it into those battle briefs? But she hasn't time to think about that because now we're thrusted right back into the action of it. And that's one other thing I love about this book. It's so action-packed. It is a lot of just moving parts. It is just flows so smoothly that you don't even realize that you've just gone from one to the other like this part we're talking about what happened at Bowery all of a sudden we're thrusted back into the action so her and Rian are kind of on the mat not on the mat but they are in not and they're not on the mat doing duels they're basically in training right now so Rhiannon is teaching her how to use these sticks and whatnot and so she's basically just a little annoyed because everyone else both Mainly, most of the first-year writers are all channeling the dragons that channeled to them, except for Taryn. And Taryn's like, you're not ready yet. And that's making her more crazy. And she's getting a little more paranoid because of it. And so we go on and on and on. And again, they're battling and whatnot. And so Rion's like, look, let's take a break. You're tired. You're exhausted. Let's just try. And she's like, look, we're about... A couple of weeks out from challenges resuming again. That's what they call it. But not on the mat and they're challenging each other. But they have to actually stop that for now. Because so many of them are dying off during the flight lessons. That they really don't need the challenges. But then they have found out that they're going to resume soon. So she needs to start training and fighting. Because as Aiden said. You, know, you can't always have the opportunity to poison your opponent. You gotta learn how to fight. So she needs to learn how to fight. And so, uh, voice compiler is basically saying, you know, she's not technically wrong. And it's, of course, Zayden just being a little snarky as always. And so he goes off onto the mat with Garrett and they start fighting. And they have taken their shorts off. Now, typically the guys don't fight with their shorts on because they don't want anything for people to grab onto. Makes sense. But, I mean, Violet at this point is not just staring at him for, you know, the technique of how his fighting style. He's staring at him in just pure lust as is most of the other women in the room and basically some of the men it's a really really funny and just over exaggerated scene it just basically just shows there's a lot of tension between these two that's really always been there from the beginning but we kind of get a more from that from this point so then skipping ahead later on in the evening Right, I mean, not Marvin. Um, Violet's back in her room, and all of a sudden, she feels this surge of energy just kind of collapsing on her. It's almost like her the worst headache. Imagine the worst migraine ever times 50,000. And she realizes that her dragon, Taryn, has now started channeling. He trusts her now. Now she's channeling. Now he's channeling into her. And she's super excited. She goes to rushes and tries to tell, you know, Rihanna, and she runs to Liam in the hallway. It is at this point that we realize why the dragons wait so, why Taryn waited so long to channel his energy into her because his, he's a strong dragon. So all of his, so not only are you channeling his power, you're channeling his emotions, whatever he's feeling. So if he's happy, she feels that too. If he's sad, she feels that too. If he's in heat, if he's in lust, she's feeling that too. And that, that is what she's feeling right now. He is in heat, he is in lust. And Violet's feeling that times 11,000. So when she runs into Liam in the hallway, she's like, oh. You're a little extra cute today. And then she realizes that she's in heat and she immediately runs back into the room. She's like, go to bed quickly by yourself. And then slams the door. And she realizes that, okay, I got to get out of this room. I got to get out. Wait, I got away from him. I got away from everybody and try and calm myself down. 
Because typically what happens when you start to feel these type of emotions from your dragon, you have to shield them. What does that mean? Basically, you have to create a ward around you, essentially. You basically block off that part of the dragon's power so that you're not overwhelmed with their emotions that way they are. I mean, you'll never fully block them out, but it's dampened, so it's not like she is right now, like running around in heat. And of course, guess who she runs into when she gets outside? Shadow Zaddy, Zayden. And he's smoking some cherim, and he offers it to her, like, look, do you want some? He's like, no, 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 I'm good. We're not supposed to smoke that anyway. But he's like, look, if you're bonded to a dragon like Terum, you're going to need this. You're always going to feel it, feel his energy and his emotions, but it will help dampen it. So that way you're not just recklessly running around. He realizes that she doesn't know how to shield, and he's like, why aren't you shielding? And she basically tells him, look, I just started chilling right now. So he's like, look, I will teach you how to shield right now. And he does. And so basically he tells her to imagine somewhere that feels like home. And the first place she imagines is the archives. So you know, feel your feet hit the ground and dig in. That's what we call grounding. Essentially keeping your mental self mental self somewhere so you aren't swept away by the power. Now essentially what she has to do is now call into that power and essentially lock it away somewhere. And now you need to do whatever you need to do mentally to wall yourself off from the current. Now, Taryn is a source. You block that power and you'll have some your control back. So essentially, she sees a big door. So she turns the lock to try and lock the door. And one of the things I love about this particular interaction between them is this line right here where he states, whatever you create in your mind is real to you, which is very true. Shut off the valve, build a wall, whatever makes sense. So basically, whatever you need to do to shield yourself from this current of energy, just do it and basically it's a door she turns the door and it's locked she opens her eyes and Zayden basically has his hands on her face which wasn't necessary but he just wanted to touch her which okay again heat is rising and now she has fully shielded Taryn he's still there but she's shielded and now we're in an awkward position she's finally learned how to shield she opened her eyes and he has Zayden hasn't let go of her. His hands are still on her face. He's looking to her. She's looking at him. And then they're like, we probably shouldn't have done this. But honestly, Zayden's the one who breaks first. And he reaches in and they go in for the kiss. This was the part of the book that I couldn't put down. Like I was reading this book and like this part and like I remember it very well. It was like eleven o'clock at night when they got to this part. I didn't get to bed till 3 a.m. in the morning rereading this part because it just made my heart giggle. When the enemies become lovers, it's always such a cute moment. Um, and it's a fiercely passionate kiss. I mean, they've been building up to this moment for a while now. And to finally see it, it's like, yay, finally. Like, we know you two like each other. Like, just kiss each other already. Damn. Which leads us now to chapter 23. Where she's basically sitting on Rihanna's bed and telling her, like, yeah, something happened. Rihanna's like, girl, I've been known something was going to happen between y'all. I like Rihanna. She's like my second favorite character. She's a super badass, super tall, chocolate girl with braids. And she is just whooping ass. I'm like, yes, bitch. She's one of my favorite characters. And so basically she shows why like, her signet power has manifested. And her signet power is to be able to they call it summon she's a summoner essentially say it was a, for example a book is a cross actually she shows an example of a book across the room she tells why to stare at it 
She snaps her fingers. It takes a minute, but the book evaporates from where the desk was, and it appears in her hand, so she can summon objects from across the room. And she, that is a significant power. Now, it starts out with just books, but if she really um, channels it, works on it, she can summon like huge things. She can summon like trees and whatnot if she really wanted to. That is a significant power that will do wonders for her career. So I'm super excited for Pablo. It goes from that wonderful moment to them walking towards their next class, to walking towards actually Professor Carr's class, the, the teacher who teaches wielding. And of course, we run into Debbie Donner Dane. I'm just, I'm not gonna lie. I know they've been childhood best friends. I've said that before, but at some point, you just gotta give somebody the middle finger and just tell them to leave you alone. And honestly, that's what I would have done. But hey, I'm not Violet. She has a more forgiving heart than me. So basically, Dane takes her to the side. And basically, for me, from what I gathered from this conversation, he's trying to make it her fault that their relationship is in a fractured state right now. And basically, she tells him, look, I am changing. I have grown. Either you change with me or you go away from me. But that's what it is. Zayden and I are bonded together forever. You're going to have to get over this. And he's like, okay, okay, I am going to try. We'll see if he actually holds up to that truth, but, hmm. But for me, at some point, you just can't let a toxic friend wield your life like that. More on that later. So basically, we're off to Professor Clark class. She learns how to visualize, how to channel, how to create windows in the archives. So that way, not only does she have you no know, Terrence power, but she has a Darner power as well that she's channeling too. So she's learning a lot. And so again, challenges have started to resume with the whole building. Challenges have now started to resume. And she finds out that, because what she does is that she sneaks out in the middle of the night and finds the board where they write down who's going to challenge whom. And she finds out that Jack Barlow is going to be her next challenge. And she's like, oh crap, he's going to kill me. So she uses all her wit and power and might. And she goes to the mat and basically tells Liam, Liam, do not tell Zayden that I am going to fight him because I am going to end this myself. Liam's like, okay, I won't tell them. So they're on the mat, they're fighting, and Jack got the upper hand here. He's super strong. Yeah, they're both skinny, but they're super strong. So basically, she has a vial in her hand. Violet, that's our girl. She's got her poison. She puts a vial in his mouth, and he starts seizing on the mat. And this is after he has stabbed her several times now. So she's like, you know what? Last straw. So she puts the vial in his mouth, and she says oranges. And the guy's like, what is that oranges? He's allergic to oranges. She put a thing of oranges in his mouth. So, she passes out because of the loss of blood from the stabbing wound. She wakes up in the infirmary and looks over and Zayden's staring at her. He's flipping this dagger looking at her like, oranges, violence, really? You killed a trash try you turned oranges into a weapon. That's kind of funny. Into chapter 24. So he realizes, like, look, Zayden, look, look, I try to stay away from you. I try to give you your space. But look, it just seems like you just want my attention now. And she's like, no, no, that's not what I meant. I actually prefer you being away from me because, you know, after the kiss and everything, things are super awkward between them. So Zane's been trying to give her space. But Zane's like, no, no, you have my attention now. You have my full attention now. Now I'm going to be the one who's training you. I'm going to be the one who's shadowing you. I'm going to be the one who's watching you from now on because I can't trust no one around you to tell me the truth because you won't tell me the truth. Because here's the thing. You die, I die. I can't have that happen. Ooh, Violet, you have messed up. And so now... 
basically it's still freezing cold out so they can't do a flight pattern so basically he's working with her on the mat training her he gives her new daggers which is like oh that's so sweet but reality is that the daggers that she's using are not good for her body type and so he's basically training her and and after training she goes with imogen to do straight training and she's getting better on the mat getting faster i mean she is going up against the strongest fighter in the quadrant but she's not going to beat him but one thing that she does notice even though she hates 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 well, not really she doesn't hate it she says she hates it but it doesn't she's learning a lot and only that but Raiden doesn't baby her the way that Dane does the way that Rihanna does she realizes now that the people that she's been training with they've been taking it easy and harder you know and she realizes that because she sees them working with other people and realizes wow they've been taking it kind of easy on me Raiden does not take it easy on her he pushes her to a limit that she he knows that she can go but not too far then afterwards she goes into straight training and so because of that she's getting stronger and again this is why i am told team zayden right now he sees her potential he sees the woman that she can become she sees the writer that she can become whereas Zane see only sees her as the little girl that he knew growing up and he refuses to let go of that image in order to see that she can be so much more that's why I am totally, if I had to choose between Team Dane and Team Zayden, I'm teasing in all day, every day. Team Shadow Zaddy. So now we're up to chapter 25, and this is where we have the squad battles. Now, squad battles are really important. More important than the wing leaders let on. They will joke that it's a game, but it's just bragging rights for the squad leaders and the winning squad. But it's not. They're all watching. The, condom, the commandant, the professors, the commanding officers, they're watching to see who will rise to the top and who will fall. So basically, squad battles consist of trainings on the mat, uh, it consists of going up a content, your timing on that. It also consists of, of how well you can wield. And also a special kind of uh, last minute one. <clears throat> Let me explain. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm getting so excited. This is so great. So we are now tapped back into on the mat. Liam has just won the battle. So now their squad has reached up to number three. And so basically the commandant comes in and basically says, look, Tonight, we're going to do the mystery battle that's going to determine which squad is going to win the squad battle. And basically, what they need to do is each squad needs to come together. All their leaders have basically have quote-unquote died. So basically, it's an exercise. They're not really dead. They have died. So they all have to now kind of figure out what to do and how to move forward. Pancheck is what his name is. It basically states, you are on your own, writers. Your mission is simple. Find and acquire by any means necessary the one thing that would be the most advantageous to our enemies regarding the war effort. Leadership will serve as an unbiased judges and the winning squad will be awarded 60 points. Now, Violet Squad is in like third place right now. So if they win that, if they get that 60 points, they can jump up to number one and win the squad battles. And whoever wins the squad battles gets to go to an outpost and gets to kind of do a tour of whatnot, which is kind of nice. They get to leave campus for a while and get to have a little bit of fun outside and get to see what real writers do, which is what everybody wants to do. And so everyone's like, okay, what can we use? What can we use? What can we use? So everyone putting their head together and Imogen kind of looks and sees Violet's thinking, and then Liam kind of comes out and says, information. What, like, what can someone use? What can your enemy use? What can your enemy use as an advantage against you? And it's information. It's like, ooh, okay, what kind of information do we have that our enemies would need? 
and so so basically she says look we're gonna break into my mother's office and we're gonna steal a map a map of all the outposts in navarre and it's like what like why was that that's information that's information that our enemy can use against us and that's like mm, that's a really good idea so they go and they steal this map but in the process of stealing this map we also get a breakdown of what everyone's like um signet power is like quint who's another who's a second year with the rebellion relic in their squad sure power is that she can astral project so what does that mean essentially she can keep her body still but like in another form walk around now that's pretty cool and that's fiercely rare and one thing that i have definitely noticed about a lot of the rebellion children who have those relics their powers are really rare like quinn's power she can do that like liam's power not only liam's power he can see from very far distances I mean, it's just, I mean, Zayden's power. I mean, he can freaking shadow wheel. I keep going back. Like, that's just so rare. I'm sorry, my own shadow right now as I'm talking about that. But, like, ooh. So, again, very rare, very powerful signets. Is it because of the rebellion now that they can do this? Just another fan theory. So, yeah, at the end of the night, they steal the map from her mother's room interesting enough and they bring it before Panchek and then all who elder rats come forward wanting to look at this map because that's the information that they don't even have and so because of that they win the battle so we are now on a dragon well the it is anyways we're on chapter 26 actually so they're on their way to Montserrat which is an outpost within the farm and they get to now explore it and as they get there, you know, Lana starts to notice that Brianna's looking a little sad. So she's like, wait, what's going on? It's like, yeah, I know my village is actually, you know, less than an hour away. And it's like, oh. But don't worry about it. And because she misses her family. I mean, obviously all of them do. And so Violet looks at her like, don't even think about it. Don't worry about it. I will find a way for you to see your family at least one. Because she wants to see her nephew. Rihanna has a twin sister who's married with a child. And she hasn't seen her nephew. So she wants to see him. So I'm like, no, we're going to sneak out and figure out a way. Montserrat is the outpost, as I said. And also her sister Mira is here. So she gets to see her sister as well, too. So it's a reunion of the Soren Gel sisters. So later that night, Rihanna and um, Violet are sneaking out to go see Rihanna's family. And Terrence basically like, you know, she lets her know they're on the way. And he's basically like, don't get caught. I love the fact that he tells her not to do it. He just says, basically, don't get caught. He's like, try not to. And so basically, they run into Mira. I mean, come on, really? Mira's like, look, what are you guys doing? So he tells her, like, okay, follow me. And so Mira walks with them to Rhiannon, which makes me love Mira even more. Like, even though what they're doing is wrong, she's still willing to help her sister out and her new friend. Though, keep in mind, Dane is her squad leader, so he's there too. But I mean, as you know, they do get to Rihanna's village. Rihanna gets to see her nephew. Mira and her are kind of off to the side, letting her talk to her family, and they're communicating. And so basically, Mira's like, Look, I've noticed some tension between you and Dane. What's going on there? And basically, Val just states, I need to change in order to survive, and he wouldn't let me. And honestly, that basically summarizes their relationship. Sometimes you just have to. You gotta grow, you gotta change, and it's okay to evolve, but what it's not okay is stay stagnant because of someone else's image of you. And honestly, that basically summarizes their whole relationship. She needed to grow, he couldn't understand it.
And so basically, Mayra kind of digs him a little more. Like, what about this Zayden? Didn't I tell you to stay away from him? You did, but, I mean, tell that to Taryn. So it's like, this is an awkward situation. Yeah. And so as they're leaving Rihanna's place, they're going back to their clock. And so she asks her sister, like, how many bonded writers have you ever met? She's like, not many. Why? She's like, how long do you think they can stay apart? And then out of the shadows comes Shadow Zaddy, Zayden. And apparently the maximum is three days. They've been there for three days and he's there in Montserrat when he should be back at Bascaia. And that ends chapter 26 and we're onwards to 27. And in chapter 27, we are now in a battle briefing room, if you will. And they're basically going over previous outpost battles that this post has gone through. While the others are going around doing a full-on inspection of on the dragon just doing a review of the outpost if you will and it's been kind of awkward not gonna lie because mira's keeping an eye on zayden but also dane is like a dead locked on him too because i mean zayden's really not supposed to be here he's major leadership he should be back at best guys doing what ringleaders do so him being here is kind of throwing everybody off and they're going back, Zayden and Dane are going back and forth. It's very childish. And all the people are just rolling their eyes like, oh my goodness, you guys grow up, please. As they're going through one of the extra, Mira's basically trying to explain, okay, say that we're under attack right now. What would we do to help stop the civilians and save people? And so basically they can't even get through that exercise without Dane and Zayden going back and forth with each other. And so basically Dane's looking at him. And basically just like teasing him like, yeah, you know, I mean, just pretend I'm not here, you know, give Dane the job. We all know he wants to be a wing leader anyway. And Violet kind of just see him like, because they're sitting next to each other. Basically like, don't be mean to my friend. And in her head, he tells her, you haven't seen me start to be rude. All right, pause. Zayden just communicated into Violet Soaring Gale's mind. And how we know he's done this is that anytime the dragon that Violet's communicating with her dragon, it gets put into italics. And that part of the conversation was put into italics. So now we realize, hold up, he just said that in her head. And so basically she hisses at him how, and he says the same way you talk to Gale, we're all gloriously, annoyingly late. That's just one of the perks. Though I'm wishing I had tried it sooner because the look on your face was priceless. She probably did look crazy. I mean, could you imagine your enemy turned semi-lover who you just made out with is now able to communicate to you in your head? And she has no way of blocking it or getting him out. Awkward. And so now things are getting kind of even more awkward now that we've figured this out. But also now Dane's getting really agitated with him. And so he has to remind him our dragons have on it. And so Dane screams at him basically like three days. Y'all couldn't make it three days. Violet jumps in like, look, this is not about us. This is about Terrence and Gale making sure that their powers are good, which is why we're doing this. And so Dane jumps in. It's like, oh, of course you defend him when he tried to kill you a couple months ago. Which, I mean, he never actually did. Zayden never actually tried to kill Violet. He's only ever had tried to train her. Dane looks at it as killing, but it's really training. Which, at this school... Could be the same thing. This whole back and forth between Dane and Zayden, this conversation is just uh, basically overflow what's been a tension that's between them since the beginning of this book. Let's be clear. Dane actually doesn't, I honestly don't think that Dane thinks that Violet can't handle the Rider's Quadrant. I think that Dane wanted to keep Violet away from Zayden. I 
think something happened there. There, honestly, even before Violet showed up on campus, I think that there was a tension between Zayden and Dane. I think they kind of went after the same girl and then maybe Zayden took her away from him. That's just my fan theory about this and that's why they don't get along. They haven't gotten along since the day they met, I think. And I think this just, the fact that he's not going after her as friend, that's what got him exploded. Because there's just no way, I'm sorry, there's no way that this year those two decide not to like each other. I just don't believe that. So, the tension is overflowing. There's tension between Zayden and Violet, and there's a tension between Zayden and Dane. And honestly, everyone knows this now. It's not just these three. Everyone is looking at this. One of the other writers who was at the outpour is like, do you want to just whip it out and measure it? It would be a lot faster. And one of the other writers is like, man, this is the best entertainment we've had in weeks. So come on, let's just enjoy this. And so at the end of this little exercise they're doing, Mira, like, look, you start looking at Violet, Zayden and Dane in the hallway now. Let's talk. What's going on here? So basically, she just goes in on Dane. Like, look, you are behaving like a child. If you want to be in his position, you need to grow up and send him on his way. Which is like, again, round of applause for big sister Mira. And he turns and looks at Violet. And looks at, basically, while Zayden's standing right there, looks at him like, do you really know this guy? Do you know everything about him? Like, honestly, understand that Dane has a point. You don't know all that's going on with him. You don't know all. You shouldn't really be trusting him all that much. Even though you technically should, has he been really open and honest with you? And if you truly are to become the writer that Taryn needs you to be, you can't keep following after him like a little lost puppy. Harsh, but hey, that's what sisters are for. Sisters are there to be the people who tell you like it is. And Mira's basically telling you like it is. Like, look... You don't know everything about this guy. You shouldn't be falling head over heels in love with this guy, even though she kind of is. But you really shouldn't. You need to stay focused on you. True points. And Zayden, and then, yeah. This conversation is going along. Taryn kind of bells in his ear. Look, there's a drift of griffins heading their way. So they need to get gone and get lost fast. So she runs back to the room, grabs her stuff, runs up to where the outpost area is. And one by one, all the riders get on the dragons and they go off. And they're all just like, fuck, the waters are down. So they have to basically abandon the outpost. There's just no other way. And so Violet's turning around looking at him. I'm like, we can stay. We can try and fight. We can fight it out. And he just looks at her like, I know you want to stay and you want to fight, but you got to go. And so basically he tricks her with a kiss and sends her off on her way. Which angers Violet as she looks down and sees that the outpost is basically overflown by griffins. Because basically Mira's life is in danger. So now she's worried that her sister's dead. Which is natural. Now we are on to chapter 28 and we begin with a page with a quote from the book of Brennan. Winning the war game isn't about strength, it's about cunning. To know how to strike, you have to understand where your enemies, your friends, are most vulnerable. No one stays friends forever. Eventually those closest to us become our enemies in some way, even if it's through well-intentional love or apathy, or if we live long enough to become their villains. Ooh. I mean, powerful, oh my goodness, friends to enemies, enemies to friends, it's, that's, has that not what happened, that, that right there capitalizes what happened between the relationship of Violet and Dane and Zayden and Violet, I mean, Violet and Dane came into the school as friends and now they're kind of on the opposite side right now, and then Violet and Zayden were on opposite sides and now they're becoming friends, fascinating. And there you go. So now, 
Violet is standing outside of Professor Markham's office in the writer's quadrant. She's worried about her sister. She wants to know if she's okay. So she's waiting on him to come in with the scroll so she can get that information. And so they're tribute and all of a sudden, of course, Saddle Jaddy shows up with a piece of coffee. And basically, you know, he knows that she's there because Sigel told him. And so in her head, you know, Violet yells at Theron, quit telling Sigel about my sleeping habits. I grumble at Taryn. I'm not dignifying that demand with a response, Terrence says. And Darna's my favorite. <laughs> Terrence snorts. I love their interaction so much. It is a very father-daughter relationship style. And it's just super funny. And so we get a little bit of back, not backstory, but a little bit of Zayden's emotions in here. We really do understand, like, you know, yeah, from the beginning, he openly admits, yeah, from the beginning, when I first met you, I want to know everything I could about you because I need to know how to ruin you. And so she asked him, when did it change? When did you decide not to ruin me? And so he basically was like, look, maybe because when I saw those people running into your room attacking you, maybe when it was I couldn't stop thinking about doing more than just kissing you, does it even matter when as long as it changed between us? And so basically he's like, no, just meet me halfway. You know, yeah, I'm in your mind right now, but just try and read my mind too so that way we can see what might be going on here. So he's trying. You know, I, he does have a lot on his shoulders, too. He is holding a lot of responsibility because he is the first. I mean, again, Zayden is the eldest of all the rebellion children, so he's got like, a lot on his shoulders. So to fall in love with the woman who had your father executed, that's a lot on his shoulders, too. But he's willing to at least try. So Violet, you know, she starts channeling into her archives and she sees in Darna's golden window that she made she sees Darna Taryn's door and he looks up and she's this shadowy thing and realizes that that's her link to Zayden and then when she's able to reach that then she realizes that she can communicate with him it even says like "Ooh, look who figured it out I mean what a symbolic way to show that you know meeting someone halfway you know what I mean but then Violet realizes, like, Mira was right. I don't know a lot about him. So she starts asking him questions, like, do you have any other siblings? Or what's your favorite kind of cake? And um, how do you know Liam? And all these other things. He's like, wait, why do you keep asking all these questions? That's just weird. And even Taryn starts to know it. So he goes on, like, wait, why are you pushing this for a reason? And so then um, Violet goes, you know, can you give me a reason not to? And then Taryn goes, he cares for you. That's already hard enough for him. And he cares about keeping me alive. There's a difference. And Tara goes, not for him, there isn't. So you get a sense that there's feelings there. He definitely has complicated feelings. It's a complicated situation. So fast forward now, we are at the war games. So war games are really, really important. It's a way for the upper classmen to be challenged. The third, basically the wing leaders and whatnot, third years and whatnot. War games are fought against each wing. So fourth wing is fighting first wing. And in this well, they are playing not only offense, but defense. They are given a golden egg that they have to steal from first wing, but they're also given a flag that they have to defend. And each thing costs different points. Stealing an egg is the one of the most. Stealing a flag is like the second. Also, professors are captured as well too, which is interesting. And also there's like other things you can do as well too to win points. But people have been known to die in these war games because again, it's even though it's a game, it's still war. 
And one one of my favorite things about this is as they're going to the flight field to bomb, get on the dragons and start taking off, Terran shows up and he has something very interesting on his back. Now, as I've been saying, Violet's been having a very difficult time staying on her dragon, and so Terran shows up with a saddle. Now, she's like, wait a minute. And Terran shows up, he brags, like, I hear it's all the latest fashion. Like, he is proud of his rider. He loves Violet. Even though he's grumpy old, he's a grumpy old dragon, he loves Violet. I mean, he's willing to look foolish and silly in front of her, even when other dragons probably wouldn't. She can't climb his leg the way that other dragon riders can ride their dragons. So he always bends down to pick her up to get him on her back. And he's willing to put on a saddle for her as well, too. That just melts your heart. Like, oh. And Taryn, at first, Violet's like, I can't wear that. And it's like, that's against the rules. And then she goes, look, there is no rule that says a dragon cannot modify their seat to serve their rider. You have worked just as hard, if not harder, than every other rider in this quadrant. Just because your body is built differently than others doesn't mean you don't deserve to keep your seat. It makes more than a few strips of leather and a pommel to define a rider. And you know what? <sighs> I love me some Terran. Terran is like one of my, he's probably not my favorite character of this book. He is just super funny, super snarky, and he has a point. It takes more than just all that to be a good rider. So then Zayden showed up and realized that it actually it was Zayden who made it and put it on Terrence. So Mason Zayden showed up hours early before the flight field because it's early in the morning to put the saddle on Terrence, make it first of all, and almost got incinerated because the first couple miles weren't all that great. It just shows that his true feelings for Violet are just real. He They've been trying to avoid it. They've been trying to fight it. But it's just there. I mean, it's more than just, you know, the bond between Terrence and Gale. There is now a bond formed between Violet and Zayden. And I just need to acknowledge that already. So then, they're off. They're off in the sky. She's in her saddle and they're off during the war game. So again, her squad's goal. So each wing has an objective. They have to find the egg. That's where we'll end the game. But each wing has been given a flag to defend as well, too, because that's points as well, too. So her specific squad is now in charge of holding on to the flag. And so basically, it's becoming a game of capture the flag. Each person in the squad will have a time where they get to hold on to the flag. So at first, relatively nothing's happened. Then all of a sudden, like many dragons from first wing come and start attacking them. And that's when my heart realizes the egg is somewhere around here. So she uses her telepathic powers to let Zayden know, hey, the egg is somewhere over here. But then she looks up and sees Jack Barlow eh, attack Liam and stab him in the side with a sword and Liam falls off his dragon. And so he's like, no. And then Darna, who decided that she wants to do battle with him as well too, she uses her time-stopping powers and top times so that way Tara and her can get down to Liam as soon as possible, grab Liam, and then they were able to pass Liam's body and then resume time, obviously. Get Liam's body over to Rihanna on her dragon. And then Violet is pissed. Violet is no longer Violet. Violet is now her nickname. Violet has become Violet. And she is going to get Violet on Jack. And Jack needs to be prepared. So she's on Terra and they're taking off. And her power starts to channel. At first, she starts to think maybe it's backfiring on me. But what we realize is that my girl... Her starting to manifest her signature power. She 
when I'm, that's something that I've always noticed when she is going for a goal of saving someone else's life that's when something magical really begins to happen with her she's an otherly type of person she always cares about the feelings and personal well-being for others and she will go to war for that and that's what she's doing right now she is going to war for her friend Liam because how dare you hurt somebody that is close to me so she's on terror and they're going after Jack and Jack's on this like outpost and whatnot and she's like you know what you're basically I'm going to unlive you today that's what's happening so she is like getting ready to, she's so crazy. She's getting ready to take off her saddle and get over there and start attacking that Jack. And Taylor's like, no, stay in your butt in that saddle. And then all of a sudden she starts feeling crackling energy underneath her. And I love this quote right here. She goes, and she screams it in her mind, I like to think. She says, I am the sky and the power of every storm that has ever been. I am infinite. I Scream rip a scream rips my throat just as lightning splits the sky with a terrifying crack of thunder. And the thunder like hits where Jack is. Jack falls under the bangs of all those rocks, and then Taryn roars an unmistakable sound of pride, lightning wielder. And that is Violet Signet Power. She is a lightning wielder. My girl is super powerful. Yes, yeah, she is. She's 100% that B-I-T-C-A. She's a lightning wielder. She finally got her signet. I mean, it took a little while for my girl to find out what it was, but she finally got it. Now, war games are over. Fourth Wing has won. And Violet can't really be too happy about that. And also, around chapter 29. But Violet can't focus on that because she is just devastated. Like, I just killed someone. Jack was evil. Jack was not nice. Jack did not deserve to be here, but Jack... In her, I mean, Violet's one of those types that doesn't believe in killing evil people. Which, I mean, you are in a war. I mean, she didn't really want to be in the war college to begin with. And I get it. She has her own morals and values, and that, which is fine. But it's like, girl, Jack didn't need to be there anymore. But again, that's just part of Violet's character. She is one of those types. And so she is just, she's, it's, she's overwhelmed with the grief of killing someone that she's, her dragon basically stays on the flight field longer than everybody else's because he's using his wings to cover the fact that she's throwing up right now. So Dane goes over to her and hugs her and says, look, don't worry about it. If you never want to use your powers again, you don't have to. <sighs> Debbie Dutter Dane. Like, really? Really? That's not what she needs to hear. She needs to hear, you know what? You just manifested your power. It's a lie. I know that. That's what I would have said. But no. He's basically telling you, stifle your powers. Don't let it show. Hide yourself. Make yourself small. Ah! But of course, our favorite shadow daddy comes to the rescue and pulls Rock, uh, Violet out of his arms. Thank heavens he's there. And basically says, look, I know you didn't like doing it, but it needed to be done. He was not a good... Honestly, even Zayden was like, look, I wanted to kill him at some point. But I'm glad he's gone. And you should be too. It may not feel like it. And you're not going to ever be comfortable with it. But that's what you are. You're a weapon now. And this power that you have does not make you evil. does not make you bad. You can use this power for good in the world. And you can uh, use this power to protect an entire kingdom. That's how he explains it. So again, you see the difference between Team Zayden and Team Dane. Zayden sees the greatness and the power of her, and Dane wants to go hide and run like a little kid. Which again, Team Zayden all the way. So then we fast forward a little bit. We're in the nighttime. A riot. Um, Violet is in her room, and she's throwing daggers at this little target. 
and she hears a knock she says come on in and it's Zayden and basically he knows she's upset and honestly I think the reason that he knows she's upset isn't because of what happened on the flight field that day it's because I think deep down just like how um uh, Violet can sense Terrence's emotions. I think Zayden can sense Violet's emotions. So he, she, he, he, he knows how she's feeling, and I think it's also as they can, um, send, they can also block each other out too as well. But I, I think that's a thing. Anyway, here we go. Back into this. So they're talking for a little bit. Violet's really upset. She doesn't understand like. All the other powers are so useful, but I'm my power is destructive. I can wield lightning. I can crack open things. I can hurt people with this thing, and I'm scared of it. I mean, most other riders in the quad would be thrilled to be a lightning wielder, but honestly, she doesn't like it. And honestly, I would freak freaked out too. I mean, that's a very powerful sickness to be able to wield lightning. Some of the greatest gods and goddesses of Greek, African, all types of mythology and folklore, they're great at the head god like for example in greek mythology zeus he's a lightning wielder some of the greatest of those are lightning wielders as well too and he's like look however you want to get these emotions out get it out if you want to scream right now scream if you want to be angry right now angry but she doesn't want to do any of that she just wants to not feel bad anymore so what she do she wrestles in and kisses him i mean eh <laughs> Which brings us to chapter 30. And chapter 30. Whew, chapter 30. Chapter 30 is the first half of that chapter. Is a chapter that you need a cup of ice cold water with. You Yes, it is hot. It is spicy. It is steamy. I am telling you. It is the enemies turned lovers turned freak lovers. They, their lovemaking is passionate. It is who they basically break everything in the room but the bed. Now, if you have read the book, you understand. If you have not, pause it right now. Go get the book. Read it for yourself. Fourth Wing by Rebecca Biarros. I'm telling you, definitely worth it. So, it is next day. After this intense lovemaking, it's the next day. And Zayden has gone. He has left, so cute, violets on her book, at her desk. And I was like, oh, so sweet. So then she has a knock at the door. She thinks it's Zayden, but it's not. It's actually Professor Carr. And apparently... Now mind you, she just manifested these powers, so she doesn't have full control over it. So while they were in that room getting in, apparently she was sending off uh, lightning strikes outside the room, and it set off a forest fire. So Professor Carr's like, we need to get you started on tra how to train this thing. So she's learning how to do it. She's, she has access to it and knows how to fire, but she needs work on her aim. <laughs> One of my favorite parts when she's training with Professor Carr is like, at first it doesn't seem to work. And so Professor Carr is like, well, when you first initiated the lighting building, did you have to engage with an emotional response? And that's how, that's the polite way of how he put it. And so Taryn starts laughing. So she kicks her toe. He's like, yeah, so we'll engage with that emotional response again. Maybe that might work. And so Taryn laughs in her head, should I get the wing leader? <laughs> Taryn knows. They know everything. Mind you, the dragons are bonded, so it's like, yeah, then he knows what happened the night before. <laughs> Taryn's so crazy. Which leads us now to chapter 31. And so basically, she is cleaning up. Actually, before we go into that, the quote that we have above this chapter is, July 1st, the anniversary of the Battle of Orisha is hereby proclaimed Reunification Day. 
and will be celebrated throughout Navarre on this date, every year to honor the lives lost during the war to save our kingdom from separatists and those saved by the Treaty of Arisha. Royal Proclamation by King Tauri the Wise. Hmm. More on that in a little bit. But chapter 31, there's a knock on the door and Zayden walks in. So basically he looks around like, wow, we did some damage last night. But yeah. So they're talking and like, look, we're both adults here. Let's have a conversation about what happened last night. He's like, look, we might need to calm down on that a bit. That was a bit extreme. And again, they're kind of in this awkward space now. Are we going steady? Are we taking it slow? What are we? Is the question. So as they're getting all her things back together, one of the books falls off the shelf that actually she got when she was at Montserrat with a sister, which was the Fables of the Bard. And it had a note in it from her dad. And it states, My Violet, by the time you find this, you'll most likely be in the scratch quadrant. <sighs> if only he knew. Remember that folklore is passed from one generation to the next to teach us about our past. If we lose it, we lose the links to our past. It only takes one desperate generation to change history, even erase it. I know you made the right choice when the time comes. You always have been the best of both a mother and me. Love, Dad. And so Zayden's like, that's cryptic. And yeah, he got a little cryptic in the years after Brennan died. Losing my brother made my father even more reclusive. I only really got to spend time with him because I, always, I was always in the archive studying to be a scribe. So she was more closer to her dad than her mom because they were like the scribe of the family and the mom was the writer. But here's the thing. I've been seeing a lot of fan theories around that they actually think that a little bit of Storm Gale poisoned her dad because she knew too much. I honestly do believe he was poisoned, but I don't think it was his wife who did it. I think someone in higher command poisoned him because it's just highly convenient that after her son dies, he starts to have heart problems, which... I mean, it makes sense. His son died. He might have had heart problems. But he gets sicker and sicker and sicker with no sign in the illnesses before this. I think someone was poisoning him. I honestly believe that. Because he knew too much. He does know too much. And that is very, very cryptic. Aiden kind of starts to pry her a little bit about this. And he's like, what do you think he was trying to tell you? And she goes, I don't know. Every, every fable in this book is about how too much power corrupts. So maybe he felt someone in leadership was corrupt. I assume when Bish Five that General Melgren ripped the mask off one day and revealed he was a terrifying venom, and that man always gives me the creeps. Zayden chuckles, let's hope not. My dad used to say venom were biding their time in the barrens, and one day were coming to get us if we didn't eat our vegetables. He also said one day there would be no magic left in the kingdom if we weren't careful. And so... He starts to look out the window and start thinking about his father. And honestly, it sounds like his dad was a really, really good dad. A good person, really. Who just wanted to help people. Pause. We kind of get more insight onto his father's side. Because his father is considered the great betrayer. The traitor of Navarre. Who tried to separate the kingdom. But it's like, there's he was a good dad. I mean, Zayden's a really good person. He's trying to help when he can. He's doing the best he can to help these people. And so he comes from good stock. So you realize now that they're not the evil ones here. Someone else is. Are we on the right side of history again? How do we know we're on the right side of history? Pause. Let's resume. Going back to the quote at the beginning. 
it is now reunification day and the king wants to celebrate so they're throwing a party all the school all the um of the quadrants the writers the healers the scribes and the infantry they're all mingled together in this one big party and her mom is kind of like mingling among people as well too and king towery comes over and she, it's violet and liam who are standing there and is like oh goodness like he's gonna see a rebellion real like it's gonna get really awkward up in here real quick and so basically it's just very just chilling you can kind of tell he's one of those people that like if he said he's been to the moon he's been there twice I mean, he over-exaggerates his battles as if he's one of themselves and he hasn't. And it seems like King Towery and General Melgren are cut from the same cloth. Very creepy, very icky kind of men. And so they're, everything they're saying, like they're keeping an eye on the Ryerson boy. They want all the Mark ones to be there. And it's like, what are you, what are y'all up to? Like, what? Why are you so interested in these Mark ones? And Melrose even said, like, I like to keep my eye on that Ryerson boy just to make sure he's not causing any trouble like starting a war. Like, mm. Again, it just makes me question who really is the villain? Who really is the hero in this situation? And honestly, Violet's noticing it too. And she's also noticing that her mother's trying to stay on the, right? I mean, she's trying to suppress her egos a little bit. But yeah, she can tell it's something is off. And so she realizes that this is the day that, you know, Ryerson's dad also died as well, too. So it's hard for him. And it's hard for her, too. This is the day that her brother died. So it's hard for both of them. So she finds out. So she leaves the party early and goes and finds out where Ryerson is. He's, like, off somewhere sulking, naturally. It's the day that his father died. And so he's having a moment. And so she goes over to where the parapet is. And actually, Bodie and Garrick are waiting for him at the beginning of the parapet. And so she sees him halfway through. And although he's not going to jump or anything, he's a shallow will that he can catch himself. He's just out there, just leaves him time alone. So she, in a dress, mind you, she's wearing a dress, decides to walk out onto the parapet to walk towards him. So now we're onwards to chapter 32. She's meeting him. I mean, it's, it's literally super symbolic. She is meeting him halfway on this parapet. And they're finally at a moment. I mean, it's a dangerous situation that they're in right now, which, I mean, that's basically their entire relationship. But they're finally at a point where they're opening up their hearts to each other and they're really willing to express, you know what, I have feelings for you, you have feelings for me, let's try and make this work. And as this is going on, in the beginning of this chapter, I do want to read this quote. And it states, As for the 107 innocents, the children of the executed officers, they now carry what shall be known as the rebellion relic, transferred by the dragon who carried out the king's justice. And to show mercy of our great king, they will all be conscripted into the prestigious writer's quadrant as Bedgardus. So they may prove their loyalty to our kingdom with their service or with their death. Again, this is a government that is allowing for people to be forced into a deadly war college to show their loyalty or die. I mean, if it doesn't scream corrupt government, I don't know what does. And so again, as we are going along on this journey here, you know, chapter 32 is another spicy one as well too. We get Ryerson and Violet in his room now, the third year room. And they are getting it on once again. So I'm not going to go into detail about that. Because as always, I don't like to give away everything that happened to the book. I do want you to go and get it on your own and read it. Again, make sure you have a glass of water. 
But by the end of the chapter, Garrick knocks on the door and Bottom's like, just go away. He's like, I can't because we're being called into formation. And you know what? I'm just going to leave it at that. Yes. There are 39 chapters in this book. But as always, I don't like to give away everything in my book reviews. Because I do want you to go and get it yourself. Review it yourself. And have that conversation with yourself as well too. So there was just several questions that I had while, after I finished reading this. Who was really the villain in all this? Who was the villain? Was it General Elizabeth Sorengale for sending her daughter into the writer's quadrant? Was it Dane for being the Debbie Downer that he is and not supporting Violet? Was it Zayden? Is it Violet? Who's the hero in all of this? Whose side are you on? And with that, I thank you. Oh, as always, before I do that, I like to leave my view for listeners, viewers, listeners, with a book quote. And this quote is actually a snippet from the sequel that's coming out yesterday. Yeah, well, when this comes out, this podcast comes out Wednesday. Yesterday is when the sequel comes out, Iron Flame. And the quote goes, the first year is when most of us lose our lives. The second year is when the rest of us lose our humanity. Oh, and that was stated by our very own Shadow Zaddy, Zayden Ryerson. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've had this book on pre-order since the summer and I cannot wait. So you probably won't see me a lot on my Instagram, my Facebook, my TikTok, and my YouTube panel because I will be reading Iron Flame. And yes, there will be a book review on that one too, so stay tuned. And as always, I thank you so much for tuning in to an episode of Wellness Through Reading. I wish you all good wellness, good reading.